This podcast is brought to you by the Reform Witness Committee of Hope Protestant Reformed Church in Walker, Michigan. It is our goal to spread our distinct Protestant Reformed views based on the Word of God and the Reformed Confessions. We hope that this message is edifying to you. The following is a sermon preached on a Heidelberg Catechism Lord's Day. For more sermons, see our sermon audio page. We read from God's Word this morning in Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews 10, we read the first 22 verses. Hear the Word of God. For the law, having a shadow of good things to come, and not the very image of the things, can never with those sacrifices which they offered year by year continually make the comers thereunto perfect. For then would they not have ceased to be offered, because that the worshippers once purged should have had no more conscience of sins. But in those sacrifices there is a remembrance again made of sins every year. For it is not possible that the blood of bulls and of goats should take away sins. Wherefore, when he cometh into the world, he saith, Sacrifice and offering thou wouldest not, but a body hast thou prepared me. In burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin thou hast had no pleasure. Then said I, Lo, I come, in the volume of the book it is written of me, to do thy will, O God. Above when he said, Sacrifice and offering and burnt offerings, an offering for sin thou wouldest not, neither hadst pleasure therein which are offered by the law. Then said he, Lo, I come to do thy will, O God. He taketh away the first, that he may establish the second. By the which will we are sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. And every priest standeth daily ministering and offering oftentimes the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. But this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down on the right hand of God from henceforth, expecting till his enemies be made his footstool. For by one offering... He hath perfected forever them that are sanctified. Whereof the Holy Ghost also is a witness to us, for after that He had said before, This is the covenant that I will make with thee after those days, saith the Lord. I will put my laws into their hearts, and in their minds will I write them and their sins and iniquities will I remember no more. Now where remission of these is, there is no more offering for sin. Having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which He hath consecrated for us through the veil that is to say His flesh, and having an high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. We read that far in God's holy and inspired Word, especially that last verse should make us think about the sprinkling of baptism. We turn to the Heidelberg Catechism, therefore, to Lord's Day 26, where we find the instruction of the Catechism based on God's Word regarding the sacrament of baptism. Page 14 and 15, Lord's Day 26 gives us the positive explanation of baptism. And 27 combats error regarding baptism. 
Lord's Day 26, we consider this morning, how art thou admonished and assured by holy baptism that the one sacrifice of Christ upon the cross is of real advantage to thee. Thus, that Christ appointed this external washing with water, adding thereto this promise, that I am as certainly washed by His blood and Spirit from all the pollution of my soul, that is, from all my sins, as I am washed externally with water, by which the filthiness of the body is commonly washed away. What is it to be washed with the blood and Spirit of Christ? It is to receive of God the remission of sins freely for the sake of Christ's blood, which He shed for us by His sacrifice upon the cross, and also to be renewed by the Holy Ghost and sanctified to be members of Christ, that so we may more and more die unto sin and lead holy and unblameable lives. Where has Christ promised us that He will as certainly wash us by His blood and Spirit as we are washed with the water of baptism? In the institution of baptism, which is thus expressed, Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved, but he that believeth not shall be damned. This promise is also repeated where the Scripture calls baptism the washing of regeneration and the washing away of sin. Beloved in the Lord Jesus Christ, how often do you think about your baptism? How often do you ponder the meaning of your baptism? How often do you think about that event that God in His providence and grace some years ago gave to you in the front of a church building as His means of grace or means of faith to you. It can be a weakness in form circles that we forget our baptism that we put it out of our minds, that we rarely think about that sign and that seal and the significant meaning it has and that it means for me, for us. To address that forgetfulness, I refer you this morning first to the Belgic Confession, Article 34. And in the Belgic Confession, we find a significant sentence regarding the profit or the value of our baptism. In the Budget Confession, Article 34, we find this, Neither doth this baptism avail us only at the time when the water is poured upon us and received by us. It doesn't only avail us at that time, but also through the whole course of our life. Through the whole course of our life. That's God's intention with baptism. That it is for our benefit, our profit through the whole course of our life. That's how we ought to value baptism. Those in Baptist churches today, as you know, would oppose us in Reformed churches in our practice of infant baptism. Baptist churches today would speak against us and against that practice and doctrine. And Baptist churches then would limit baptism only to adults who are able to profess their faith. In doing so, they deprive God's people, God's children of that sacrament. However, the Baptist sometimes has a valid point in opposing our 
our position of infant baptism, the Baptist will sometimes point out how Reformed people, since they were baptized as infants, don't think enough about their baptism. And while the Baptists would blame our doctrine of infant baptism for that, we would reject that, it ought to be the occasion for our self-examination. It's not infant baptism and the doctrine to blame, but it's our own hearts. Do we value? Do we cherish? Do we think upon that sacrament which ought to benefit us through the whole course of our life? So, beloved, this morning I call you to meditate on that. Your baptism. Not only baptism, but your own baptism. Rewind in your mind to that day when your believing parents brought you to the front of the church. There you were, that helpless, weak infant in the arms of your father, unable to come to the font yourself unable to understand what was happening, unable to make confession of faith, and yet graciously, without your works, God gave to you the sign of washing. Think about your baptism. It matters little which minister it was that baptized you, but think of an ordained man taking water in his hand at that baptismal font and pouring it or sprinkling it upon you, upon you, that child, some years ago. And He did so speaking your name. Think of your name being sounded out. And then those words, I baptize you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. What a moment that was. A significant moment. Not because that baptism itself saved you. But a moment upon which you are to think. To ponder. And a moment that you are to value. And cherish. And for the profit. Of your heart. At every baptism, you are to think about your baptism. After you sin, think about your baptism. As you draw nigh to God in prayer, as hinted in Hebrews chapter 10, think about your baptism. As you approach God in worship, think about your baptism. Through the whole course of life, as you approach judgment seat, the judgment day, think about your baptism. Today He reminds you of that event. And beloved, that is God's means of faith. We considered that last week. Baptism is God's means of faith. That is, He uses baptism to strengthen your faith. Question answer 69, especially the question, reminds us of this strengthening. How, how art thou admonished? And the word admonished can be translated from the original German, reminded. How art thou reminded or retaught and assured? Two important words. Reminded and assured by holy baptism. That the one sacrifice of Christ upon the cross is of real advantage to thee. Question 69 tells us God uses baptism to bring to your mind the truth of your washing and also to strengthen your assurance regarding that washing. As a means to strengthen your faith, the strengthening of your knowledge and the strengthening of your assurance, as the catechism tells us, shows us that baptism too is a, is a means of faith. You feel that need? Perhaps you've come to church confused about some doctrines regarding salvation. Maybe you're mixed up because of a controversy. 
Perhaps you're confused about justification and sanctification and big words and theology. A simple solution that God gives or a reminder of these truths, basic truths of the Christian faith. Think about the meaning of baptism. That clears things up. If you come with doubts, doubts about what is true, doubts perhaps about your own salvation, think about your baptism. With that, as His means of faith, God strengthens our assurance so that we might, as verse 22 of Hebrews 10 says, draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Consider your baptism and the doctrine of that baptism as explained by Lord's Day 26 with me. Under the theme, baptism, hearts sprinkled and bodies washed. First the sign, then the seal, and then finally the calling. The sign, the seal, and the calling. When I use the language of sign and seal, I refer back to Lord's Day 25, where sacraments, including baptism, are called signs and seals. In this first point, we consider baptism as a sign, that is, a picture or a symbol that God uses to teach us or remind us of the Gospel of Jesus Christ. The familiar Gospel we need to bring back to our minds that our faith might be strengthened. At baptism, God uses the knowledge of water and the properties of water to remind us of the Gospel. And it's simple for good reasons, so that even a little child can understand this. Children, you who have been recently, quite recently baptized, even you can understand this. Think about water. The Hadabri Catechism in question and answer 69 says, I am washed externally with water by which the filthiness of the body is commonly washed away. God created water. He created water with this special property. Common understanding to everyone that water washes away dirt. Water washes away filth. Children, after you played outside yesterday in the warm weather and you came inside and you had to get rid of the dirt on your hands and your feet, you had to use Water. When you have germs in your hands and you think about other people who have sicknesses and flus perhaps and you want to get rid of the germs, the bacteria on your hands, what do you do? You wash your hands with water. When you come in sweaty young people from working or from playing a sport and you come into your house and your mother tells you, you stink. You need to clean yourselves. You know what you need to do. You need to go and take a shower. You need to have water wash away that stink. It's very familiar to us. At baptism, God takes this common knowledge of water washing away dirt and filth and stink. And it teaches us a spiritual reality. The dirt that you need to have washed away is not mud. It's not germs, it's not bacteria, it's not sweaty stink, but you know it's your sin. It's your sin. And how do you wash away sin, that which is worse, more filthy than mud and germs and stink on your body? You know that you cannot use Water that comes out of the faucet for that. Water won't take it away. How do you wash the dirty secrets of your past? How do you wash the spiritual bacteria still inside the heart in your old man? How do you wash the stench of sin that is upon you, upon your body, upon your soul? You can't wash yourself. 
You need Him. You need Him who is called the water of life. You need Jesus Christ. You need Him alone. He can, not with a little help from you, but He alone can wash away sins. The Heidelberg Catechism explains, I am certainly washed by His blood and Spirit from all the pollution or the filthiness of my soul that is from all my sins. As, in comparison to, I am washed externally or outwardly with water from the filth of the body. The water of baptism pictures Christ's washing away of my sin. When you think about your baptism, you should think about Jesus washing away your sin, but more specifically now, you ought to think about Christ washing away two aspects of sin. And these are two aspects of sin that you ought never forget that you need washing from Jesus Christ of. First, the guilt of sin. And secondly, the power of sin. The guilt and the power of sin. Christ washes away both. Not either or, but both and. And at baptism, we see a picture of Christ doing both. Washing away the guilt and the power of sin. First, think about Christ washing away the guilt of sin. The catechism refers to this washing when it speaks of being washed by the blood, the blood of Christ. The blood of Christ. You find that mentioned in answer 69 as well as in the question of question 70. What is it to be washed with the blood and spirit? We'll get the spirit later on, but with the blood of Christ. That's referring to being washed of the guilt. And I define for you guilt briefly. Guilt is your legal status before God. It's what you ought to be judged as guilty before God's courtroom and His law. Guilt is the record of all your sins, past, present, and future. So that if you had a book of all your sins written down, it would be a dirty book. A dirty record. That's your guilt. And the only thing that can take away, that can wash away that dirty record, that guilt, is Christ's blood. The answer of 70, it is to receive of God the remission or the forgiveness of sins freely for the sake of Christ's blood, which He shed for us by His sacrifice upon the cross. Memorize this, children. Parents, teach your children this. Maybe even after they've sinned and you're chastising them. The blood of Christ washes away the guilt of sin. The blood of Christ washes away the guilt of sin. Think about your baptism. Think about the water that comes upon you and is sprinkled upon you. That water represents the blood of Christ washing away all your guilt so that you are righteous. You are forgiven. 2,000 years ago, Christ shed that blood to earn that forgiveness. Yes, He lived a perfect life life of obedience as well. And He suffered all His life, the 30 years of His life. But when He went to the cross and there shed His blood, that was the culmination, the peak, the height of His obedience and suffering. There, as He voluntarily gave Himself as a sacrifice on the altar of God's infinite wrath, blood, blood, much blood, flowed from Him. And blood was pressed out of Him exactly because of His perfect love and immeasurable suffering that He endured on the cross. And that blood washes the guilt 
Colossians 1.14, in whom we have redemption through His blood, even the forgiveness of sins. Now in the Old Testament, the Old Testament saints also had their guilt washed away by the blood of Christ. But in the Old Testament, there was a picture of that that's different from the New Testament. We read in Hebrews 10 that in verse 4 that there was the blood of bulls and goats. And verse 4 says the blood of bulls and goats can't take away sins. But the blood of bulls and goats did picture the blood of Christ washing away the guilt of sin. So in the Old Testament, they would take that blood, they would collect the blood from the slit throats of the bulls and the goats, and they would take a plant called hyssop and they would dip it in the bowl of blood and they would sprinkle that blood upon the people. You can imagine a child having that blood on him, on her. That blood was not pleasant to see and to have sprinkled on a person, but it pointed the Old Testament saints ahead, ahead to the cross, to Christ's blood, the only thing that could cover guilt. Now in the New Testament, we have baptism. Baptism itself, like the blood of bulls and goats of the Old Testament, cannot wash away sin, but baptism, like the blood of bulls and goats, is a picture. And instead of pointing forward as the Old Testament blood did, baptism points us backward what Christ has done on the cross. What can wash away my sins? The guilt of my sins? Not the blood of bulls and goats, not the water of baptism itself. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. But I said there were two aspects of sin that baptism pictures being washed away. Sin is the guilt of sin, but along with that, there is the power of sin that needs to be washed away. And Christ does that too. And baptism pictures that also. The washing away of the power of sin. And you need to memorize this too, children. And parents, you need to teach your children this. Blood washes away the guilt And Christ's Spirit washes away the power of sin. The second aspect of Christ's washing is often forgotten and neglected, but it may not be. If children and adults grow up narrowly thinking of Christ's blood washing away the guilt of sin, and that's all that baptism pictures, then they think of half a gospel and half a Christ. Not the fullness of salvation. Christ's salvation is pictured of baptism consists not only of the washing away of the guilt of sin by His blood, but also, but also, but also the washing away of the power of sin by Christ's Spirit. Your filth, your dirt, is not just your guilt or your status, but it is your old man. That's what I mean by the power of sin. Your old man or your sinful nature. And I have before in church, in other sermons, described that old man or that sinful nature as a powerful king sitting at the throne of your heart, reigning, ruling, So that before you were saved, the only thing you could do was sin. You could only think sin. You could only will sin. You could only feel sin. Only sin. Completely sinful. Totally depraved. In all your parts. Filling all your parts. Today, think of that old man as... A dirty old man. Filthy. That was who was on the power 
on the throne and power of your heart. Think of that old man who is muddy, covered in muck. Think of an old man who smelled worse than death. Think of him who had his outside and his insides covered with nasty grossness, filthiness. And he, he's the one that sat on the throne of your heart. That's who we are by nature. But Christ, but Christ sends His Holy Spirit. And the Catechism explains it this way. What is it to be washed with the Spirit of Christ? To be renewed by the Holy Ghost. and Sanctified to be members of Christ. That we may more and more die unto sin and lead holy and unblameable lives. You see, Christ, having shed His blood, did not remain dead. He rose from the dead and He ascended into heaven and He sent His Holy Spirit like, like a flood of water. And think about that dirty old man on the throne of your heart again, ruling. And when Christ sent His Spirit like a flood of water, think of the flood of Noah's day. Think of the Red Sea that came down upon the Egyptians. swept that old man off the throne. It swept that Pharaoh off the throne. Oh, he's still, he's still there in our heart, but he's not on the throne. That's the work of Christ by His Spirit. Upon the throne of the heart instead, He places a new man to rule. That's what we ought to think about when we think about our baptism. Not only the blood of Christ washing away the guilt, the dirty record, but also the Spirit of Christ represented by that water as well. Flooding upon our soul to sanctify us. To regenerate us. And not just one time, as the Catechism explains, more and more to die unto sin and more and more to lead holy and unblameable lives. Those are the two washings that baptism pictures. We can sum it up as justification and sanctification both. A lot of theology gets cleared up when you think simply about your baptism. But the sign of baptism displays to us even more, more than just two washings. Baptism is a deep sign. It's a sign of entrance into covenant with God. It's the sign that shows the beginning of covenant fellowship with Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Now think about your baptism again. And that which is part of the sign or symbol that points to this entrance into covenant with God is not mainly seen, but heard in the sacrament. In that sacrament, not only do you see water come down, but remember, you hear I baptize you in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And those words are extremely important. Think especially about the preposition in. I baptize you in. Literally, it's into the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Don't think of that into the name as by the authority of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. It's not the minister saying, by the authority that I have from Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, I baptize you. It's not that. But rather, I declare God's Word that you are in, in fellowship with Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. In such fellowship that now you 
take on God's very name. Think of a wife or a woman who's made the wife of a husband that is brought into his family. She takes on his name. Think of a child who is born or adopted into a family. That child takes on Father's name. At baptism, God says, You are brought into my family in covenant fellowship with me. I put upon you my name. You belong to me. And because sinners like us cannot have communion and fellowship with God of ourselves, He washes us by His blood and by His Spirit. Think about your baptism today, tomorrow, through the whole course of your life that you might be reminded of these beautiful truths that you are brought into God's own fellowship and family, given His name, washed of your guilt by the blood of His own Son, and washed by His Spirit of the reigning power of the old man. But since faith is not only knowledge, and baptism is not only to remind you to strengthen your knowledge, we must move on to understand how baptism is also a seal. It's a sign that God uses to remind you of true knowledge. But it's also a seal to strengthen your assurance the assurance of faith. Thus far we've considered baptism as a sign, but now baptism is a seal. A seal is a personal confirmation that God gives to His people. Think of an old-fashioned seal when a king wanted to write a letter in his day. He would write his letter and he would seal that letter. That, that means that he would authenticate that letter. He would confirm that the letter indeed was from him. Mine to you. To assure the one who received that letter that indeed, King himself has said this to you. And often that seal will be some sort of engraving on a ring, perhaps with his name, his emblem engraved thereon. And after writing that letter, he would drop some wax upon his letter at the bottom of it, or maybe after he had rolled it up, drop that wax on the end of that paper to keep it sealed. And he would press his engraving into that wax so that there his emblem, his name, his seal would be shown to assure the one who received that letter, this is from the king. Baptism is a seal from the king of heaven. The gospel that I just described in the first point is his love letter that he sends to his people not only off the pulpit to be preached, not only on the pages of the written Word of God and Scripture, but He sends that Gospel into the hearts of His people so that they know with their minds what that Gospel is. In covenant with God, graciously, unconditionally, washed by the blood of the Lamb, by His Spirit, but now more. Baptism. 
is God, as it were, dropping from heaven, not wax, but water. Upon that Gospel that He has revealed, put upon our minds, and then pressing upon us, not a ring, but His name, His emblem. Fathers, sons, Holy Spirit, I seal this Gospel to you. I confirm that this is from Me. I assure you that you are Mine, washed by the blood of My Son, washed by My Spirit in covenant. I don't just say it in the Gospel and the preaching. I show it to you with this seal of baptism. The Catechism explains that seal is a beautiful oath or promise. Question and answer 69. Christ appointed this external washing with water, adding thereto this promise. And stand in awe of this beautiful promise that I am as certainly washed, as certainly washed by His blood and Spirit from all pollution of my soul, that is, from all my sins, as I am washed externally with water. How sure can you be that you are in God's covenant, that you are washed by His blood, and that His Spirit is within you? As certainly, as certainly, as you are sure that water washes dirt away. That's God's promise at baptism. Children, how sure are you that when you put your dirty hands under the faucet to get that mud off your hands, how sure are you that the water will cause that mud to wash off? You may have the certainty then, the same certainty of Christ's blood and His Spirit washing away your sins. How sure are you that as a child, your parents brought you to God's house. The water of baptism came upon you. And you saw that sign of water coming upon you. How sure are you that water at baptism was real water? So sure you may be of Christ's blood and Spirit washing your guilt and the power of sin. This is for the comfort of God's people who feel the doubts from Satan and their conscience and their old man. Oh, sin rises up against you day by day. And temptations and awful lusts from that old man come. They come in upon your soul. You know how dirty you are by nature. Your good works are not nearly as good as what others imagine. You've fallen into your besetting sin again. You feel dirty. Think about your baptism. Think about the Gospel. And that baptism is not just for your intellectual knowledge to remind you, but God's way of sealing to you. Believe in Him. Believe in Jesus Christ. And baptism God uses for the strengthening of your assurance. That is how baptism is not just a remembrance. The Baptists would call baptism merely a remembrance. 
But baptism is a sacrament in which there is not only a reminder of doctrine, but the Spirit powerfully works during which there is baptism. And as we think upon our baptism, that's shown to us here in verse 22 of Hebrews 10, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. The language is obviously in reference to the sacrament of baptism, but this passage is telling us to think upon the sacrament not only, but as we think upon that sacrament, this is what God does. The blood of Christ, which He shed 2,000 years ago, He sprinkles upon our consciences. The consciences that are guilty consciences. They feel guilty. The weight of sin presses down. When we think upon baptism, He sprinkles those guilty consciences with the blood of Christ. And there's peace in knowing our forgiveness. And more, this too also happens as we think upon baptism. Bodies washed with pure water, we read. And that's not referring to our external bodies being washed of mud and grime and sweat. But it's talking about the Holy Spirit's effect upon our bodies too. So that when the Holy Spirit, as water, floods in upon our souls and that old man is killed, mortified, washed away, a holy life begins to show itself in our bodies as well, in holy living, in unblameable lives, as the Catechism calls it. Think about your baptism. It is a means that God uses for the strengthening of your faith. The calling, draw near. Verse 22 of Hebrews 10, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience our bodies washed with pure water. To draw near essentially is to believe. Believe in Jesus Christ. As you think upon that sacrament of baptism, believe in Him. The full assurance of faith, as the text says, knowing that you are in covenant. That you are Washed by His blood and Spirit. And as you believe, that drawing near will be accompanied with prayer. You may come to God in prayer without fear that He will reject you, but He will receive you. For you are in covenant with Him. You're sprinkled by His blood. Washed by His Spirit. Draw near to Him by faith. In the way of praying in the house of prayer. Not forsaking, as verse 25 says, the assembling of yourselves together. It's a manner of some is. Draw near. Worshiping Him by that faith that He has strengthened. And then live. Live as though you have been baptized. Live as though you have this seal, this sign upon you. Live as though you have been washed. Don't live. Don't live as 
as though you are still of this world. Don't live as though you're still dirty. Don't live in doubt with fear, trying to do good works to earn some washing away of the guilt of your sin. But live in confidence knowing you have that washing away of sin in the blood of Jesus Christ with joy and thanks. Don't live as though the old man still reigns within you. As though he is the power over your heart. But live as though you can turn and repent of your sins. You can fight him with the new man that he has given you. Live as though you are sanctified and justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. 1 Corinthians 6, verse 11. The Belgian Confession, Article 34, describes baptism in this way, and I close with this. God hath instituted the sacrament of baptism by which we are received into the church of God and separated from all other people. Separated from all other people and strange religions that we may wholly belong to Him whose ensign and banner we bear. Baptism is like an ensign and banner, the Baudry Confession says. An ensign is a flag. You know what a banner is? bigger than a flag. That sign and seal of baptism, God has not only impressed upon your soul to confirm something to your heart. There's something, as it were, that displays above you like a flag or a banner. That's important to know. That is why the unbeliever of this world has an uncanny ability to detect who's baptized. They'll figure it out very quickly whether you're a member of a church especially a Reformed church. Whether it is said about you that you're washed by blood and spirit, even. That you're a friend of God. That flag and that ensign flies over you. And you know well that what that means for your life. That for the glory of your God, as a witness and a testimony, to His saving work for you and in you, you are to live your life before the world as though you have been washed, that you are separated into the fellowship and friendship of God. You are to live as His friend and not as the world. Show to the world with your life that you indeed belong to Christ, that His name is upon you, that you are washed of your sin. Does your life show that you're washed. Does your life show that you're washed? Let it be. May God's Word confirm to you that the Gospel is for you as pictured at baptism and with full assurance of faith. Go forth and live for the glory of your Savior. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message. It is our hope that it was edifying to you. Please subscribe to our podcast. We publish daily meditations, Heidelberg Catechism Lord's Day sermons on Wednesdays, and topical podcasts on Fridays. You can find more information about us at our website, hopeprchurch.org and you can email us with any questions or feedback at hoperwc at gmail.com. Thank you.